So this morning, family, we are going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as you know, for the past few weeks, we've been going through a series talking about community, the value um, and the absolute um, necessity of togetherness, of, of being together, and how really like the kingdom of God is about togetherness. It's about coming together. We're all invited to the feast, to the table, and we, we belong at the king's table next to and side by side one another. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that today, and we're going to read the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13. And now we know this passage very well. It's something that I think most of us I've heard many times, and it starts out with these three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Or if I have the gift of prophecy and you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, verse 3, if I give all I possess to the, to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. So, Lord, thank you so much for your word, and I thank you so much for your love. Thank you for bestowing your love upon us and teaching us and showing us what true love really looks like. And so, Lord, as we come to, to discuss it this morning, may our hearts grow in your love so that we can live in it more fully and share it more graciously to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we know um, the Lord uh, has been dealing with us around the idea of community, about how to, how to do this. How do we really be a, a community of believers more than just coming and sitting in a chair on Sunday morning and saying it's Graceway Community Church, more than just putting a word on it, but like the actual intended meaning of like living life together, knowing one another, not just one another's names or where they sit every Sunday, but actually knowing one another, this idea of actually being with, with each other. This idea of Christian community, it's not really, it's not an ideal that we have to strive to bring to pass, that we have to kind of create and conjure up, but it's really a spiritual reality that is created by God through Jesus Christ. He has made us all one because in him is where all of our faith is rooted. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's all in him. So that oneness is there. It's a spiritual reality. But now whether or not we choose to actively participate it with our time, with our resources, with our talents, that's something altogether different. We all have this invitation to participate in community. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We all have this calling, this invitation, but whether or not we choose to accept it is up to every individual how far we're willing to go with that. So in this passage in, Corinth, in the Corinthians, we're looking, we're jumping into a story. It's a town where Paul had gone and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and a number of people came to put their faith in Jesus. And now this was a, a group of people from all different walks of life, from all different places of society. Now, 
coming together in this faith in Jesus Christ, and they're now trying to learn what it meant to come together in Jesus' name. They're, they're among the earliest Christian communities. They're, they were new to the faith, and they're learning how to be believers together. And in these earliest stages, if you read the first half of 1 Corinthians, you see how messed up of a community this place is. See, neither, these are people that are coming together in Jesus' name, but they're from all different subcultures, they're from all different walks of life, different demographics, and now they're coming in Jesus' name, and now, but they have all these weird dynamics happening, and there's a lot of um, unhealthy things happening. If you read through it, it talks about things such as um, people coming together to actually cheat one another. They're actually um, starting lawsuits against one another. There's fornication going on. There's selfishness. There's, there's idolatry. There's a case of incest. Like all of this stuff is happening in this Christian community. This thing that is a spiritual reality, but they're trying to figure out how does this look like in a practical sense? Because they know they belong together, but how do they relate to one another? How does this actually look? What do we do with this? So they were struggling to be a Christian community. In chapter 11 of verse 18, Paul addresses it. He says, I hear that there are divisions among you. And he moves on to talk about how they need one another. They belong to one another under the authority of Jesus Christ. In Corinthians 12, 24, he says, God has composed the body of Christ that there may be no divisions in the body, but the members have the same care one for another. He expresses the needs of all of the various gifts and talents that he's given to every person in the body who has different skills, different skill sets, different abilities, how they all belong to one another to create one community, one body. And as they contribute what God has given them, they also receive what God has given to others. There's this oneness. They don't belong only to themselves any longer. But when we come to Christ through him, we belong to one another. And then he moves into chapter 13. After he explains the importance of the gifts and acknowledging and valuing the gifts in the people around you, and he goes a little bit deeper, and then he starts to talk about the root of it all, the greatest thing of all, 1 Corinthians 13 says, is love. Love is the greatest of all beyond all these other things. More than these outward behaviors that we're supposed to be emulating is behind them. What is motivating these behaviors, these actions? It's the love of Jesus Christ. And without it, Paul says, everything is meaningless. In that first verse, he said, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, in other words, no matter how intellectual, intelligent you are, no matter how spiritual you are, if you don't have God's love, you're nothing more than a clanging symbol. In other words, an annoyance, a useless annoyance. He goes on to talk about prophetic powers and, and how no matter how gifted you are, no matter how many abilities you have, no matter what kind of wisdom that God has bestowed upon you, no matter what kind of faith you have, if you have faith to pray for someone and watch a miracle happen before your eyes, if there's not love behind it, motivating it, it's useless. It's meaningless. And then he goes on to talk about giving to the poor. 
these things that we all honor. I mean, these, this is charity. This is, this is goodness. How, how could this be vacant of value? But he says, if you give all you have to the poor and even sacrifice your own body, it's worthless. It's meaningless without love. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes 1 where it talks about everything is meaningless, meaningless. It's all a repeat. Well, yes, when we live without divine love, things are empty and they're void of purpose. But now we need to take a look at this love that he's talking about. This love that he talks about is this is this agape love. It's divine love. And so I want to take a minute to, to give acknowledgement of what this love he's talking about is and how that compares to other types of love. See, agape love is, is really to prefer, to be drawn to. It's a godly love that is everlasting. It's unconditional. It endures all things, and it's sacrificial. This is the love that, that is spoken of in 1 John chapter 4, where he's talking about how God is love. Love is from God, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Whoever has been born of God and knows God, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And so God is, the God being love, this is his very nature. Love is God's nature. And so we can't expect to love or participate in his nature if we first haven't known him and been able to receive his nature into our being, into who we are. And yet this is the thing that we're supposed to be known for, right? Right? when he tells his disciples that you're going to be known by your agape love, your divine love for one another, this is what makes us different. This is what makes us stand out. It's divine love in us, not human love, not earthly love, but godly love that endures all things. And so living in God's love means that we are giving preference to his desires, to his will. It means we look to him and we take our directives, we make our decisions for our life according to what he says and not according to what we desire, not what we want. But before we can ever come to that place where we're preferring his will over our own, in other words, even denying our own desires and placing God above that, before we can come to that place, we have to receive the love of God into our own lives. We can't expect to live in God's love and share that if we haven't first possessed it. You can't give away what you don't own. And so God's love is being showered upon us continually, steadfastly. It never goes away, but it's up to us to actively receive and engage with that love. So now it comes and informs even our own being. See, his love is not something that can be written down on pages a prescribed behavior, if you will, and then we can mimic that and just kind of copy it, like look at the manual. Okay, yep, in this situation, I do this. Okay, it's, it's just mimicking things that we're watching from a distance, but that we really know nothing of. We have experienced nothing of it. That's not what divine love is. He doesn't want us to, to emulate something that we really have not experienced. That's not how God operates. He wants to infuse us with his enduring and sacrificial 
love. And now once we've been infused with that, that's just, that's how we move. That's how we live. We live in that love now. So Paul speaks about this and he, and he gives a few descriptions about this when he goes on to read verses four through uh, eight in 1 Corinthians 13. I think Chris has that for us. When he talks about love is, God's, God's nature, I want to look at this for a moment and change the wording. And I want to see, I want to look at this from the perspective of God, God's demeanor to you. This is his nature expressed into each one of your lives individually. God is patient with you. God is kind. He doesn't envy or boast against you. He's not arrogant or rude. God doesn't insist on his own way. We have free will. We have our own choices to make. God is not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice when we mess up. But he rejoices when we get it right. He rejoices in the truth. God bears all things. He believes all things. God hopes all things and he endures all things. God never fails you. This is his nature. This is his demeanor to to you. My first question this morning for each of us is this. Have we received and have we willfully accepted this love into our lives personally? Not just this idea that makes us feel warm and fuzzy, but have we received that into our lives? Has he maybe put somebody in your life that has shown you these qualities and he's ministered to you in this way through a person that he's, he's blessed you with? We have to first receive this love before we can ever ex- expect to now live in this love and have our, and our actions not be empty, but be motivated by his love. And once we've received it, now we're able to live in Jesus and, and love through him, not before and not without. It has to be in him and through him. This is the only way that we can live in true Christian community, by giving Jesus the absolute authority in our lives. We're looking to him and he is our primary focus. And even beyond looking to one another, we're looking to one another and at one another through the lens now of Jesus Christ. He becomes that kind of filter that we look at one another so we don't see each other the same way that we used to any longer because my primary focus, my goal is Jesus Christ. And so I'm looking at him. And so anytime I have any interaction with anyone, I'm not just seeing that person directly. I'm seeing them through now this new lens that Christ has given us, and it's it's in his love. See, when our desires are opposed to Jesus, but we're living in and through his love, those things that are opposed to him get filtered out. Now we're able to live in unity because each one of us makes Jesus our focus. So even though I have my own opinions and my own preferences and you have yours that might be opposed to mine, we both choose to lay them down and put his first. Now we can come and live in true unity because we're following his will and his desire and we're not arguing who's going to get their way this time. Because guess what? Neither of us are going to get our way. We're looking for Jesus to be lifted up and for his will to be done. This 
is Christian community. It's a community where we're not jockeying for position, who's going to be in charge, because we already know who's in charge. And it's none of us. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This is also why Christian community is so fragile. Because at any given moment, when our pride begins to rise up and we allow that to happen, we refuse to put Jesus' will above our own, now all of a sudden, that opposition infiltrates the community and there's some decisions that need to to happen. Christian community is so fragile. But when we're putting him first and he now is, is our target, he is our goal and we're all moving towards him, we find ourselves moving Closer and closer together, just by default. It's like, it's like a bullseye where you're shooting an arrow at a bullseye. No matter where you're shooting from, if you're all shooting at the same target, the closer you get to the target, the closer these arrows come to one another by default. They're all aiming at the same place. And as we pursue Christ and find ourselves closer and closer to Him, I find myself closer to my sister and my brother. His draws pulling us together. And at every interval... With every increment that we grow in him, it becomes a little bit more challenging. And the reason for this is this, our own space, our own personal bubble, our comfort zone gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Because you started from across the room over there and I started over here and I can love you and smile at you from over here. But when we're both moving to Jesus in the middle of the room, we get closer, get a little bit more uncomfortable There's a little bit more sacrifice involved. And we can easily get thrown from who we're really pursuing originally, and now we get thrown by the discomfort, the newness, the the, the people that are coming closer. Like, it was so good when it was just me and Jesus. But if you're pursuing him, guess what? You're going to find more and more people in that place. And so it's only sustainable when we continue to live in him and not in just ourselves. Divine love is different from human love. Divine love, God's love, is not a reasonable thing. When you look up the definition for reasonable, when it says this, it says, something that agrees with sound judgment, something that is logical, something that is not excessive, is moderate, conservative, rational, None of these things are divine love. Divine love is not always logical. Divine love is not conservative. It's not restrained. It doesn't hold back. It bears all things without limit. This is God's love. His love is unreasonable. And here's the crazy thing. Different times, it will look different. Given different scenarios, his love is going to be expressed in different ways. It's not always predictable. It's not what some people would call safe. And so people get uncomfortable with that. When they don't know what what the next situation, what the next day might hold, they get uncomfortable with that. Are we willing to live in that place with the Lord, knowing that in Every situation, every decision I have to make is not something that can go by the book, but it goes by bringing it to Jesus. What is your will in this situation? That's living in him and living through him. 
it looks different at different times. Anybody ever read the scriptures and you find, you, you stumble upon a place that comes to your attention because this scripture almost seems to oppose something that you read last week? They seem to almost speak directly against one another. This is, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it's uh, talking about the parable, or no, it wasn't a parable, it was the story of where the, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he says to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it says, that, and I love this, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, agaped him, this divine love, and in his divine love, he told him, go and sell all your possessions and then come and follow me. His love instructed the man to go and sell what you have and now come and follow me. Now he knew that the man's love was oriented and directed at his wealth. And so in order for him to come and follow Jesus, he would have to give those things up. It's all about the heart. But now when we move to another place in John chapter 12, there is a place where Mary Magdalene walks in where they're having a supper and she pours out this expensive perfume on his feet. You remember this story? And this expensive perfume was worth about a year's wages. And she pours out the thing on his whole feet. And Judas looks at this and says, what is she doing? Tell her to stop. This whole thing could have been sold and then we could give it to the poor, what he had just told the rich young ruler to do. And Jesus said, no, what she's doing is right. This shouldn't go to the poor. He, said, he actually said, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. What about this? You guys remember the story where Lazarus is very sick and they send a message to Jesus and he knows about it and then he waits two more days before he comes to see him. And then when he comes, Lazarus had already passed away. He was already dead. And it says that Jesus wept. He was moved with compassion. And then he spoke and raised Lazarus from the dead, right? But what about that man? And in, in, uh, where was it? That man in Matthew chapter 8 who says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Just let, me, just let me go bury my father. Remember what he said to the man? Let the dead go bury the dead. Wait, what? You just raised Lazarus because you cared about him. Now you're telling me to not even bury my own father. These things that, that appear contrasting, but it's all about where is our affections, where are our love drawn to? What's the focal point? Is it our wealth? Is it our family? Is it our relationships? Is it our work? Or is it Jesus? And then through him, all of these things come only as secondary. He has to be first. That's divine love. It's only him. We can't possess divine love outside of divinity, God himself. And so to have divine love, the thing that gives meaning and purpose to everything that we do, we have to live in and through God himself. What about this in Luke 14, 26? Jesus is talking. He said, unless you hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And then 1 John 4.20, he says, you cannot hate your brother and sister and say that you love God. Wait, what? But you see what he's pointing here. It's always pointing to where is your love directed? He doesn't want us to hate our brother and sister. But in comparison, where are we directing our love, our attention to? Family or God? And then through God, 
towards our family. He has to be the medium for all of it. The way that we interact with this entire world is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way to apply divine love into our lives and into the lives of people around us. We don't always know in advance what his love is going to instruct us to do. That's up to Jesus, and he'll tell us in every circumstance what he would have us to do because it's about preferring his will over our own. And we don't make assumptions of what his will is going to be, but we bring it to him, and his spirit who lives in us will give a peace and a confirmation towards what he wants us to do in that specific situation. To live in his love is to live by his spirit, which he's given us on a daily basis. At times he may move us to nurture and maintain a relationship for his sake. Other times he may call us to move away and end a relationship for his sake. But divine love is always going to exalt Christ in everything. And what he wants What's going to exalt him is up to him, not up to you and me. It's not like just carrying around a rubber stamp and say, I did it in Jesus' name. I did it for Jesus' sake. It's asking him, what do you want in this situation? And now moving according to his desires. So divine love and human love, these are are very different, but it's dangerous to confuse the two because they can seem very similar at times. Human love is it's a strong factor, and it can look very, very similar. But when we're living in a Christian community, we have to guard against a simply human or secular love because a Christian community can only exist in divine love through Jesus Christ. See, human love is rooted in desire, personal desire, and it's pointed inward. Even when it moves us to do things for others, There's a desire in us that really the root of those things are things that we are desiring. We're desiring connection. We're serving our wants. I want connection with this person. I want relationship. And so we move towards this person. But even when we do these things, if it's not through Jesus Christ, it falls short. Divine love is rooted in Christ and it points always to his desires and his will. I have this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this, Human love for one's neighbor is a passion that is able to give extraordinary sacrifice. Often, check this out, it surpasses genuine Christian love in fervent devotion and invisible results. It speaks that Christian language with eloquence, but yet it is absent of the love of Christ. Human love is directed to the other person for his own sake. Well, divine love loves the person for Christ's sake. It all comes back to living for Christ's sake, for his will, preferring him over and above ourselves. Recently, I um, realized I needed to do something about getting back in shape. And so for the past couple months, I have been uh, going to the gym and just the monotony of You pick things up, you put them down. You pick things up, you put them down. (laughs) And there's something about it that it makes you, you know, you feel better when you have it completed. Now it's behind you, now you feel better. But no, it it has this uh, effect on our bodies. It makes us healthy, it makes us strong. But as I'm thinking about this, you know, you're just carrying dumbbells around and just the same motion, 
just resistance. You're allowing resistance against your body. And by moving against that resistance, what you're doing is you end up, you're building strength. It's the way that our muscles and our tendons respond. Like when we create resistance, our muscles are like, oh, okay, I got to do something now. And now they get in a shape and they gain strength. This is one of the differences between human love and divine love. See, when human love faces resistance, it weakens and dies off. When love is motivated by other people or personal desires, when that love is rejected by others, it becomes offended and it wants to defend itself. It becomes angry or bitter or indifferent. It can't bear the resistance because the motivation is gone. The desire behind it is, is, is run out. So, and so instead, it moves to prove itself in the right and now attack and prove others in the wrong. See, resistance, it transforms human love into an accusation, into explaining why I am right and the other is wrong. When it faces rejection, it builds walls to protect itself and hur often hurls attacks on others. This is the kind of love that causes division in our homes and even in God's church because of its limitations. It can't face resistance. It doesn't have anything to hold on to in those times. It just goes spiraling down. When it reaches its limits, it turns people into a term that is used in Revelation for Satan. It turns people into an accuser of the brethren. And so we're, if we're in community together, calling this a Christian community, and yet we speak ill of one another for any reason, we are accusing one another and tearing one another down rather than building up, we become accusers of the brethren, God forbid. We've not been given a community, blessed with a community, so that we can become its accuser before God but we've been given this community so that we can see one another through his eyes, encourage one another and be encouraged, serve one another and be served, share in his love and receive his love. But now resistance to divine love, resistance strengthens divine love. It doesn't harm it, but actually adds strength. Just like it's, it talks about throughout the scripture in, in James, it says, consider it joy when you face trials. So when you face resistance, consider it joy. Why? Because you are gaining strength. He is training you up. He's building your muscles and adding strength to your body. Resistance adds strength to divine love. God's love isn't changed or weakened by resistance because it's not motivated by any of those things. It's not motivated by anything external. It's all motivated by Jesus Christ and him alone. How can I exalt Christ in this situation? And so it's fueled by Jesus. And so it flows consistently regardless of what we get in return, that love continues to flow through us because the response is not what fuels the behavior. It's God's will and his love in me that is fueling me to move in his love. This is where we see the greatest act of all the greatest act of love at, of all time. 
We saw in the time of greatest resistance when Jesus was rejected and resisted by man to the point of a torturous death. And even in the face of that death, Jesus, in his divine love, was able to say, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't even realize. That's divine love. It doesn't matter how it's treated. It matters who it's serving. It's serving God. It's pleasing Him. It's preferring His will. And so when divine love faces any kind of rejection, it remains in submission to Jesus Christ and willingly accepts whatever result comes, whatever happens. Verse uh, 1 of 1 Corinthians 14, I want to close with these two words. Corinthians 14.1 says, Pursue love. The only thing that matters, the only thing that gives meaning and purpose, pursue love. But not human love. Not love outside of Jesus Christ. Love in and through Jesus Christ. See, as believers, God's divine love exists within us. It's there in every believer. The question that it comes down to is whether or not we are allowing his divine love to dominate our actions or we're allowing that divine love to just stay in our pocket and still our own human love, our own personal desires that is dominating our decisions. My encouragement this morning is that we be believers that live in Jesus Christ and operate by his divine love so that we would be known for his love. We can ask ourselves this morning, take an inventory and say, what love am I operating by? Matter of fact, let's, let's do this for a moment. Let's just close our eyes for a minute. I want to give you uh, just a few seconds to consider this. In your relationships and in your dealings at home and at work, consider where your love and your affections are oriented towards. Are they oriented towards personal goals, towards family well-being? Is that the first priority? Or are they oriented first towards Jesus Christ and then in his love, everything else follows. And no matter what your response is, how can we begin to participate in deeper levels in this Christian community and operate by his divine love? And it starts with appreciation for one another, acknowledging the blessing that we have of being together and thank God daily for the Christian brothers and sisters that he has blessed each one of us with. See them through the eyes of Christ and recognize their importance and their value as his children and your family. And so I'm going to pray for, for us this morning and then we're going to close. And Lord, I thank you so much for giving us one another I thank you that when you took on that death on a cross, you gave up yourself for us, 
And we're always grateful for that. But I thank you that you didn't stop there, but you gave us one another as well. I pray, Father, that you would cause a shift in our spirit and even in our mind, that we would see one another as family, as community, that we would recognize one another as you see us. God, cause us to be grateful for every individual in our community, for every, all of, even the, all the little things. God, cause us to be grateful, Lord, thankful, acknowledging these things so that you will have an open door to pour out more into us, Lord. Be glorified in our gathering, Lord, in any way in us that you find any affection in our heart that is directed to anything outside of you, Lord, I pray that you would show that to us so that we see it plainly and no longer deceive ourselves. But let us see what our heart is really tied to and attached to. And as you show that, Lord, I pray that it would come with conviction, that we would surrender it to you, and you would call our heart into alignment with your true love. We want to be your vessels full of your love, a love that's not natural to this world, it's your supernatural love. Let us be moved by that. We love you today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.